Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week two recap. Did you enjoy the games? I did. Um, it was, well, I mean, we'll get into it. Not, not to spoil anything here, Joey, but um, an FCS team won, and it was not the one we expected. No. No, it was not, Mike. And that was the thing that I... I thought that, you know, <laughs> I thought we were going to end up being wrong. We told everybody on the show, on the preview show, somebody in the ACC is going to lose to an FCS team this weekend. What I did not expect it was going to be was the team that had just taken Notre Dame to overtime the previous weekend as the Florida State Seminoles turn around and lose to the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. Jacksonville State 20, Florida State 17. Let's have a dialogue. My goodness. Um, and if you saw the way this all went down, like the how is almost worse than the what. Like it's bad to lose to Jacksonville State. It's almost worse how this happened. Um, this was a three-point game with six seconds left. Jacksonville State has the ball, and I believe it was their own 41-yard line. And, like, if you listen to Mike Norvell's comments in the post game, he said, we, we avoided going to a prevent defense because they still had a timeout. And, we, we you know, we, we thought they might try to get into field goal position, basically. To which fine. I would ask, so? A, field goal, a long field goal doesn't cost you the game. Yeah, but also, also, I'm okay with that response. Mike Norvell was getting dunked on here, Joey. I have a thought here. Maybe two-man under wasn't the worst thing they could have run if they actually ran two-man under with zone defense in the back and man coverage with the corners. That would have been fine. My next question is, uh, Mike Norvell, are you straight up lying to us about the defense you were running, or are your players all just a bunch of idiots? Because they did not run two-man under, it turns out. People smarter than you and I went back and broke it down. They were in cover one man defense with a significant pass rush here for no apparent reason. Good Lord. All that aside, how do you not make the tackle? I don't know. Like, in this, So this is the fun part. Okay, so long story short, if you didn't see this, late Saturday night what happened was former Clemson quarterback transferred to Jacksonville State, Zarek Cooper drops back, heaves a deep ball down to about the 10-yard line of Florida State, that's caught by former Duke wide receiver, Damon Filiot Johnson. There are two Florida state defenders in the vicinity. One of them just kind of goes running past Filiot Johnson. The other one was just taking a, a horrific angle and was not in any good position to make a tackle. Like it, it was like Florida state had shut it down and, and like they were just taking it for granted that the game was over and they got beat for it. I, I mean, it was it was an embarrassing kind of unthinkable showing there for the Seminoles, Mike. I, I unbelievable to me. 
I mean, I think there was, I want to say, so Mark Packer mentioned this. I was listening to off campus, Mark Packer on Sirius XM radio. Um, he mentioned that Florida state was 96 and O against FCS competition. I think it was something. like 20, 27 and O or something like that. They, 27 yeah. and O. I, we're just throwing numbers out there. 27 and O. They had never um, they, lost to an FCS team. 27 and one. I mean, gosh. And then the other thing that I don't understand, Mike, and, and I'm let's all just be real honest with each other here. I did not watch every second of this game. No. Mike, how does Mackenzie Milton end up with 18 of 31 for 133 yards? Florida State against Jacksonville State averaged a shade over four yards per attempt passing the ball. It's what easy, the Joey. Hell? Joey. Joey, it's easy. It's explainable. Ready? Here we go. Lay it on me. The Florida State wide receivers suck. They're not very good. They didn't complete a pass of more than 20 yards the whole game. No. Now, I didn't watch this game live either until the final four minutes. I did see this play live at the end. I couldn't believe how Florida State, how poorly they played that defensively. But all that aside, offensively, this team's got nothing Side Jay Sean Corb, right? And yeah, Mackenzie Milton looked pretty good coming in in relief of Jordan Travis against Notre Dame. Um, you know, just let him down the field and kind of they went on this wild goose chase in the fourth quarter, and it was all for naught because they lost the game anyway. But this wasn't good, Joey. No, like I don't know. I don't know if this is more on Milton or the fact the receivers aren't any good or a little bit of both. But man. Not what you expected. I mean, I, ultimately, it's just like, how do you even get yourself? I mean, it, you talk about whatever defense you're playing at the end. Ultimately, the question is, how do you get yourself in that situation where it's even coming down to the last play of the game against Jacksonville State in FCS school? Well, and Florida State did this, what, two or three years ago against Samford? Yep. Where and, and they won that game, but I mean that was a game that went into the fourth quarter, like late into the fourth quarter, I believe. And, and I mean that was we thought that was a low point. Man, this is worse. Florida State ends this game going four for fourteen on third down, zero for two oh. on fourth down. They were penalized eleven times for hundred and fourteen <clears throat> yards. Like this is the game that you cannot have against Jacksonville State. And Mike, that whole thing that I said last week about. I, you know, I think Florida State might have something here. I think it might be okay. Yeah, big old wrong on that one. No, they do not. Um, if, imagine, if you have something going, this is not what you do to follow up that Notre Dame game. Imagine going four for 14 on third down against Jacksonville State. Imagine having 11 penalties for 114 yards against Jacksonville State. Imagine Jacksonville State outgaining you 350 to 329. Yeah, I. this is... This is bizarre. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I understand completely if Florida State fans are, are running out of patience, even though it's only, you know, the beginning of year two for Mike Norvell mm -hmm. and realizing yep. that this was always going to be a little bit of a strip it down to the studs and, and kind of rebuild the whole thing. But still, I mean, the way that we talk about Jeff Collins losing to the Citadel in year one, you know, year zero, whatever, like this is as bad. I, I would say Jacksonville State is more talented than the Citadel. But you're Florida State, man. You can't lose this game. 
Willie Taggart would have lost his game for cheaper. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I think he's still on the payroll, technically, if you go look at it. But, you know, mm. throw that Man, out there. It's like paying two coaches when you don't even have one. Mike, something else we need to uh, mention while we're on this game. Speaking of Notre Dame last weekend, mm. this this starts to reek a little bit of, I believe it was 2016, when on Labor Day night, uh, Notre Dame played at Texas, and they played this like three overtime thriller, and it was a great game and all that stuff. And Texas wins, and then I think the, the proclamation at the end was Texas is back and all this stuff. And then that was the Notre Dame team that went four and eight, and Texas went like maybe six and six. And it was just one of those things where we all thought watching that game that this is two heavyweights slugging back and forth and, you know, what a win and what an epic moment and all this stuff. And then like six weeks later, we realized neither of these teams is any good. Is that where we might be at with this Florida State Notre Dame game last weekend? Yep. Because Mike, Notre Dame did not have the best Saturday themselves. Yep, but it was on a streaming service that nobody watches, so it doesn't matter. It may as well not even count. Like, I, how is it the year of our Lord 2021, and nobody's putting that on Periscope on Twitter that I, I can watch for free, right? Why Why are we now in a position where we're trying to make college football content less accessible? I have no here? idea. And why is Notre Dame okay with that? Yeah, we have a contract with NBC, but we're going to put it on Peacock, which has like a tenth of the subscribers, right? Yeah, it seems like an awful idea. And then they go and lay a little bit of an egg and damn near lose to Toledo, and it's maybe a good thing that not anybody could watch that. Yeah, I, I actually tweeted out. I said, you know what? If Notre Dame loses on a streaming service, Peacock, by the way, for those of you uninformed, if Notre Dame loses on a streaming service that nobody is actually using, does it make a sound? <laughs> Somebody responded to me on Twitter and said, oh, yeah, it would make a sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Um, Copy. That copy. Yeah, Notre Dame turns around and goes home and, and wins thirty two to twenty nine over Toledo. And like Toledo's not a bad team per se. Like I think, you know, they're they're kind of one of the favorites to win the Mac. But again, you're Notre Dame. Yeah. You win that game by three scores just by rolling out of bed. Yep, except they didn't. Uh it's a little bit of a rebuild in South Bend. And yeah. Joey, you know what we saw? In that Notre Dame game, I know we're not going to go full recap, but we saw four-star true freshman Tyler Buckner throw a touchdown pass. Three for three for like 78 yards and a touchdown. Hmm. Hmm. Did that make you a little hot and bothered, Mike? A little uh, tingly in the pants, even. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Dad, that. Good. Yeah, we're going to uh, – that's going to be part of the uh, the snippet that we post on the – uh, oh. the video later. Anyways. Excellent. I mean, anything to make my sponsors happy. <laughs> there you go. Um, anything else on this Florida State game, Mike? Uh, I think it has far-reaching ACC implications because if Notre Dame's not very good, then the ACC, and, and again, Notre Dame's not in the ACC, but they play a lot of ACC teams. And I believe, in my opinion, that there's some ACC schedules out there that may end up benefiting from seeing Notre Dame this year and definitely benefiting from seeing Florida State because they can't even beat Jacksonville State. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, is that Notre Dame has four games left on their schedule against ACC teams, and that will come into play when we thought that Notre Dame was going to be better than anybody in the ACC not named Clemson. Right. Turns out, they might be gettable. They might be gettable. Now, if they move to Tyler, maybe not. Yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. 
Jacksonville State 20, Florida State 17. Let's move on, Mike, to a, I'll call it a happier uh, result for the ACC, but still some discussion to be had. Pittsburgh 41, Tennessee 34. Uh, Pitt, of course, breaks the ACC's losing streak against SEC teams, which I don't know how many games it was at, but it was, it felt like it was quite a few. Um, Pitt was the better team throughout this game, Mike, like, they moved the ball better than Tennessee. They were more consistent on a down-to-down basis. And then Pitt turned around and did, like, everything in their power to try to keep Tennessee in this game. Like, there were special teams gaffes everywhere. Like, Pitt, they basically spot, spotted Tennessee seven points in the first quarter uh, by, uh, well, what was that one? That was uh, the blocked punt. Yes. And by blocked punt, I mean... Tennessee blocked the punt. Pitt did not block for the punt. Um, there were guys just no. running free up the middle. Correct. That probably should have been recovered for a touchdown, but instead Tennessee had a one-yard or a one-play, two-yard touchdown drive that had to happen. So there was that. Pitt shanked a punt in the fourth quarter out of their own end zone. It went to like maybe the 30-yard line, maybe. Uh, that was terrible. There was a kickoff return for Pittsburgh that made it like to the four-yard line or something like they they did everything in their power, just giving giving yards and points away to Tennessee, and, and they come away with the win. So credit to them. But man, it it really could have been a lot easier than it was. It could have been for sure. And this was quintessential Pittsburgh at noon on a Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. Drag I mean, you down and play a weird game, and eventually come out the winners. That's that's pretty much uh, Pitt's mo these days. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Kenny Pickett, I thought, was pretty decent in this football game. I mean, I, I it, it's just a very, it's a very weird box score, and it was weird when I was watching it. But I didn't realize Joey live that Pittsburgh scored twenty-seven points in the second quarter. Yeah, that was. I mean, that um, was really where they they kind of won this game, and they should have, they should have basically had it put away at that point. Yeah. And uh, the the other major takeaway for me is Pitt's just total inability to run the football. It's wild to me. Like they cannot run it, Joey. We were talking about this, and it and what kills me is that three years ago, if we were describing Pitt's offense, it would have been they can run the ball, and that's about it. And thankfully, they can run the ball pretty decently on a week to week basis. Then Mark Whipple shows up, and all of a sudden, it's like they can't run their way out of a wet paper bag, man. Like yeah. I don't, I don't get what happened here. But all of a sudden, this team that has, as a program historically over the last half a century, has generally had good running backs and a good running game, now just like, I mean, forty-two carries for a hundred yards. Like, what? What are we doing? Yeah, yeah. I here's the other thing too, right? I, I look at. And I think back to when when Pittsburgh was running the football at a high clip a few years back. I mean, they had two 1,000-yard rushers in their backfield, right? Mm-hmm. Now I look at Darren Hall, Quadri Olsen, for those of you who will remember. Now I look at the Pittsburgh backfield, and Bonaconda is a good back, right? They have Vincent and A.J. Davis who have been there forever. I, but I look at this, and I'm wondering, I'm sitting here wondering to myself, Joey, when looking at Pittsburgh's backfield, like, do they have one or two 500-yard rushers? Uh, maybe one. Uh, I mean, Abanaconda and Davis right? here today combined for 31 carries for 76 yards. Mm. Like, good grief. Yeah, uh, not great. 
So I mean, I don't know. This has turned into okay. Put the ball into your game manager, Kenny Pickett. Hands Kenny Pickett, of course, has been there since the Eisenhower administration, and you're now asking him to throw the ball at 77 years old, like 40 times a game. And I don't know if that's the best strategy, but I mean, it worked on Saturday, 24, 36, 85, two scores. I mean, that's good. That'll work. Yeah, definitely credit to Kenny Pickett. And, and I mean, they made they made probably some more explosive plays in the passing game than we're used to seeing from that offense on a week to week basis. Um, like you said, I mean, he played well. He was he was really kind of the big thing about this pit offense on Saturday. Um, him and then uh, Tazir Mack made a couple of huge plays as well. He had four catches for 100 yards. Um, basically everything that he was catching was going for chunk yardage, which was really good for Pittsburgh. So, um, like again, Pitt was the better team. Like I, I thought they redeemed themselves well, well here. I mean, they were only a three, three and a half point favorite and they covered like, that's good. Uh, they had a, a nice little double pass in the red zone at one point that went for a yep. touchdown that I was amazed at how smoothly executed that was like how Jared Wayne, it baby. Happened. It was, it was really impressive. So, so good on Pitt. It just it didn't have to be this difficult, or, or you know, go down to the wire the way that it did. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting here, Mike, we had a little bit of a Hendon Hooker sighting mm. in Tennessee. Uh, Joe Milton goes out of this game. I believe it was in the second quarter. Um, Pitt Pitt had a play where I forget who it was. Like one of the defensive tackles went in and sacked Joe Milton, and on the way down, just like took the ball out of his hands. Yeah. It was it was literally a strip sack in like the purest sense of that term, and I think that was the last we saw of Joe Milton. So then they replaced him with Hendon Hooker, and Hendon Hooker came in and like like on most plays wasn't that good, but on a few plays had some really explosive moments. Yes, if nothing else, better than Joe Milton. It's basically the Hendon Hooker experience, and as far as hookers go, it's as well as you're going to do on like. <laughs> two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, right? In Knoxville. Yeah. Yes. In Knoxville. I mean, <laughs> going to be a pretty average hooker, right? right. Um, passing the ball. He was pretty efficient through the interception at the end when Tennessee really needed a touchdown. So that wasn't very good. Um, Tennessee just running the ball. Yeah, we talked about Pittsburgh struggling, right? And, and Tennessee had a little bit more success, but most of that came from the two quarterbacks, Milton Hooker, um, 14 carries for three carry the 103 yards. So, I mean, they, they rushed for 136 as a team, a little over 100 of it come from your two quarterbacks. I mean, they got to figure out how to run the football with their running backs. Tennessee does because they're going to have a heck of a time in SEC play. Yep. Um, I know the Josh Heupel offense wants to throw it about 75 times a game, but they're going to have to run it at least. Yep, yep. Shout out to the Pitt defense, too, for coming up with, I believe, three turnovers in this game and five sacks. Yeah. Um, that's the yep. Pitt defensive experience, by the way. Yeah, and of course, the big the big interception at the end uh, to really ice the game. And then Pittsburgh's offense for milking away, whatever it was, five or six minutes o'clock there at the end of the game as well. That, yeah. was, that was huge. When it counted, when it counted. Um, by the yep. way, it was just one turnover. So good on Pitt. Plus one in turnovers, yep. did not give it away themselves. That was nice. Yep. Pitt 41, Tennessee 34. Let's keep moving, Mike, to less happy news. Mississippi State 24, NC State 10. Uh, Mike, this got out of hand a little bit. Well, uh, not that out of hand, but this kind of this didn't go great for NC State from the get-go. Mississippi State runs the opening kickoff back for a touchdown to kind of set the tone. Yep. And NC State just, it kind of felt like they could never really get anything going. Right. And, and Mississippi State's defense isn't bad, but... It's not this good either. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing was it wasn't really out of hand scoreboard-wise, but it felt out of hand because NC State literally just could not get anything going on offense. I mean, Bam Knight only had 31 yards rushing. Ricky personally had 19 yards rushing. I mean, combining for 16 carries for 50 yards is not very good. Um, Devin Leary, he was 30 of 49, which is okay um, for 303 yards, touchdown and interception. A lot of those yards came from when NC State was three touchdowns down in the second half. They just had to start throwing the ball a ton. Leary was fine, but, you know, NC State offensively put themselves behind the eight ball. And like you mentioned, Mississippi State's defense, I mean, they're an SEC defense. There's talent on that roster, on that side of the ball, but it's not like they're an outstanding defense in that conference. And they really took NC State to the woodshed um, as far as you know, their defense against NC State's offense. I was really surprised that the Wolfpack couldn't get anything going on the offensive end. Um, this game really early third quarter is where this thing flipped, right? Mississippi State's up 14 to three. It wasn't looking great for NC State, but, you know, if you go to, you know, the the first possession of the third quarter for NC State, they fumble. Mississippi State immediately goes seven plays, 54 yards, and a touchdown to make it 21 to three. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much all she wrote, Joey. Like, that's when the game effectively ended for NC State. It wasn't looking good, but Mississippi State stepped on their throat early in the third quarter, and that was really it. Yeah. Yep. This game really just did not get off to a good start at all for NC State. Um, Did not. I mean, the first first four possessions, four plays, 17 yards punt, eight plays, 45 yards, get down into the into the red zone, had third and goal and then throw an interception. And by the way, it was your running back that threw an interception. That was Ricky Persons interception. Uh, You had a missed field goal after that five plays, 17 yards, missed field goal. 11 plays, 43 yards, and then kick a field goal from, you know, outside the red zone. But it's like, you know, they, they moved the ball a little bit. And then from there, it was punt, punt, fumble, punt, 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 turnover on downs. And then finally, you know, score a touchdown with about a minute left in the game. Like, just a, a bit of a rough showing from NC State's offense, even though at least Devin Leary's stat line would show, you know, they racked up some yards in the passing game, but... Like you said, I mean, this this is Mississippi State defense is they're not elite, but like they're pretty good. But NC State like is a program I would expect to be able to run the ball at least a little bit on them. And they just couldn't the whole game. Yeah, this this was like a bowl game matchup, right? This is like Belk Bowl written all over. I'm sorry, Duke's Mayo Bowl. Excuse me. <laughs> this is Duke's Mayo Bowl written all over it. I mean, if you told me on, uh, you know, last week when we were previewing this game, if you told me that NC State was going to hold Mississippi State to 316 total yards of offense, I, I would have told you they probably won the game. Right. Right. I mean, and credit to NC State's defense, like Mississippi State didn't run the ball either. Like 15 carries for 22 yards, that ain't going to do it. But Will Rogers, I mean, 33 of 49 for 294 and two scores, like I guess that was enough to, to get it done. But just <laughs> Again, yeah, th- this was a game that NC State had a chance. They, it, it probably should have at least been closer, but you know, again, not not a great showing, and just didn't really execute when it counted in the first half, and and got themselves pretty way down. Yeah, not nah, for sure, for sure. Um, I just NC State. Look, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Right? <laughs> kind of where I'm at here. There you go. Uh, Mississippi State 24, NC State 10. Joey, real quick, I'm actually pretty mad because I bet NC State money line. So you know what, I changed my mind. Yeah, I I did on the show, and then I backed off on like the actual American 
Van Gorder pesos that yes. we, uh, that we, we wager on these things. Right, right. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm kind of glad I did. Kind of glad I did. That was also part of the reason I was so irritated watching Pittsburgh like screw around with Tennessee was there were actually yeah. a couple of real American Van Gorder pesos on that game. Yeah. And I just wanted them to put it away so I could go watch something else. Yeah, they didn't really want to put it away, but eventually we came out victorious and on the other side. So there you go. All's well that ends well. More money than God at this point. And I was, you know, I still had time to watch the end of Oregon, Ohio State. And then the local TV station decided it was more important that I watch Texas A&M Colorado kickoff, which gross. So anyways. Yep. Yeah, that sounds like a rough afternoon. It was stupid. Yes. Uh, number 22, Miami 25, the App State Mountaineers 23. Uh, I have a question. Uh, good, comfortable win for Miami here, Mike. Uh, yeah, nice, comfortable two-point win like usual. <laughs> I have a question. Can I amend my Miami pick to win the Coastal? I am not <laughs> feeling very good about that I, at all. Well, however not good you're feeling about that, I'm, I'm kind of feeling less good about North Carolina. So. Okay, well... We'll clearly, have a chance to settle that in a few weeks. Yeah, clearly predictions going great on the basketball conference podcast here earlier in the season. Uh, Mike, yeah, this game, <laughs> this game was dangerously close, like the entire way. Miami was never able to pull away. They were down at halftime. Um, it, it took a late, late field goal from Andy Borgales with a, about two minutes left, and that ball just <laughs> barely sailed inside the uprights. And even then, App State was moving the ball, uh, had it about at midfield. Chase Bryce throws a couple of passes that fall incomplete after hitting receivers in the hands, which was disappointing. Um, but, I mean, this was this was close to a, a – um, it, it wouldn't have been as bad as losing to Jacksonville State. We'll, uh, we'll help Miami fans and keep the uh, – Certainly not. Keep the attention in Tallahassee. But, I mean, this was not good. And this was a situation where it really felt like Alabama almost beat Miami twice. Yes, certainly almost beat them twice. And, you know, former ACC great Chase Bryce, because he's played for two different ACC programs, is now at App State as the quarterback, 199, touchdown and interception. Uh, Cameron Peoples, 17 carries, 95 yards, and a touchdown for App State. Uh, Miami was fine offensively. King threw for 200 yards. Cameron Harris had 91 and a touchdown. King had 79 on the ground. The, the one big thing for Miami's offense that I was a little bit surprised about was the fact that De'Aaron King ran the ball as much as he did. He basically didn't run at all against Alabama, either A, because they knew he couldn't, or B, because they didn't want him to. Um, he scurs. Coming off of a uh, the injury there. Um, yeah. Miami, Miami might be in trouble here, Joey. And I... They now have to play a Michigan State team. Now, now they get them at home, but they have to play a Michigan State team now that looks surprisingly functional. Mm -hmm. And that game now seems like it's a lot less winnable for Miami than I thought going into the year. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, and, and that's a game, too, that, by the way, you better be spending your time preparing for that game in the cold tub because Mississippi State's, or, or Michigan State is going to come punch you in the mouth. Like yeah, they're, they're going to come in and play a physical game and you got to be ready to, to stand up to that for 60 minutes. Right now it remains to be seen whether or not Miami is tough enough to handle that for four quarters. Uh, you know, at the first sign of trouble against Alabama, they rolled over. So if Michigan state brings that same kind of intensity, does Miami match that against a team that they're much better equipped to handle? Right. Right. Um, we'll get into our uh, ACC players of the week and stuff later, but, one candidate has to be Borgalis. 
uh, Miami's kicker, right? <laughs> um, he he makes three field goals in this game. Andres Borgales does, including a 43-yarder, made three extra points. Um, without Andres Borgales, Miami does not win the football game. No, no. Uh, he was – now, he missed one field goal, but other than that, I mean, making the other three, making all your extra points, like this was a two-point game, and Miami just simply could not put the ball in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Borgales and – you know, his ability to make field goals in this game ended up being the difference for the Hurricanes or else they would be starting this season 0 too. Yeah, they would be. They would be. A um, couple of injury updates from this game. Uh, Donald Chaney Jr., the running back, goes out, and he's going to be missing Ouch. the rest of the season with an injury. Uh, Keontre Smith, the starting linebacker, also going to be out for several weeks uh, with an injury of his own. So Miami not in great health at the moment as a team. Um also worth mentioning here that App State ran a kickoff back for a touchdown. So it's not like Miami's special teams were uh, particularly pristine in this case, but it was enough. Yep. It was enough. So, yeah, not a great not a great scene here for Miami. But you know what? You survive, you advance. And if it was a little bit of a look-ahead spot, you know, a, a bit of a sandwich game, so to speak, okay, just make sure you right. come back and you're ready to play Michigan State next week. Yeah, agree. Now – whether or not they will be ready, it's a whole other thing. That is, that is, yeah. Another thing entirely, especially yes. as it relates to this football program, Mike. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, if there's one guarantee in life, it's that we're never sure if Miami's actually ready to play or not. <laughs> At least they got all that talent, though. Ah, yes, they do. Miami yes, 25, do. App State 23. Sorry, Chase Bryce. You almost got it done. Almost got it done. Uh, Mike. Boston Probably College should. 35, UMass 21. Speaking of games that were way closer than they ever needed to be, uh, but there's also kind of a good reason for that. Yeah, Phil Dracovic is now out for the season. With Well, I'm sorry, doubtful to return this season. He had surgery on his wrist today. He left in the first quarter of this football game. Boston College was now on their hopes and dreams for the rest of the season and really for this game. I guess a really bad UMass team hinged on the shoulders of quarterback Dennis Grossell, who, to his credit, wasn't that bad in this football game, Joey. Um, you know I'm a, not necessarily a Dennis Grossell truther, so to speak. Oh, I was going to say, Dan Rubin's slightly higher on Dennis Grossell than you are, Mike. Yeah, uh, if you'll remember in the preview, Dan was talking about, well, if there's injury or COVID, like Dennis Grossell is capable, and I quickly quipped that I saw Dennis Grossell play in 2019 in Death Valley, Clemson, and I declared him the worst quarterback of all time. So, <laughs> I mean, to put it nicely, I, yeah. I agree, disagree, though. It might be good. I don't know. Um, yeah. He did throw for 200, almost 200 yards, 1114 for 199, a touchdown. So, you know, he hung in there, but so did UMass. And I just didn't love how this went down for Boston College. It's good they were able to pull out a win. They were certainly more talented, but. UMass scoring 28 points was not on my bingo card for week two in the ACC. No, not at all. The only good news I can think here, I mean, you'll probably beat Temple next week, even with Dennis Grissel at quarterback. Right. You're probably going to lose to Mizzou uh, the week probably. after that without without Dracovic. Um, the good thing is that, you know, the, the idea here is, is Dracovic is at least going to be out for most of the season. So if the idea is that Dracovic does return for, you know, two to three games at the end of the year. Well, Mike, Boston College's last three games at Georgia Tech, home against Florida State, home against Wake Forest. Like Those seem winnable. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if, if you had everybody for all three of those games, you're probably going at least two and one. 
at this point. So, you know, there, there's that if there's a silver lining. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We might get more information that says that Dracovic is is done, done for the year. Um, right. In which case, not not a great not a great outlook for Boston College moving forward. Yeah, not looking good. The uh, Boston College, uh, you know, second in the ACC pick is not looking very good at this point. I think NC State might have a handle on that. Also, I'd like to rescind. I should have mentioned this earlier. I'd like to rescind my, oh, Florida State might be in play for second in the division. Um, I made that declaration after the narrow loss to Notre Dame. I would like to rescind that. <laughs> might be second to last in the division. No take backsies, Mike. No take backsies. Yeah. Wow. We're just full of predictions. There you go. They're predictions. They're not necessarily good ones, but they are predictions. They, they're something. Boston College, 45. UMass, 28. Uh, let's let's roll through some more here kind of quickly, Mike. Uh, number 19, Virginia Tech, 35. Middle Tennessee, 14. Again, a game that was probably a little closer than it needed to be. Virginia Tech covers by half a point. Uh, but more importantly, again, was another injury update coming out of this game. Yeah, Virginia Tech tight end James Mitchell got his knee banged up in the second quarter of this game. Uh, Justin Fuente and the coaching staff thought that he was fine. They actually said so after the game. They're like, oh, yeah, he's fine. He'll be ready for next week against West Virginia. He had an MRI on Sunday towards ACL. So decidedly def- not fine. Decidedly not fine. Uh, he's out for the year. Virginia Tech confirmed it today in their Monday presser. So that's definitely not ideal. Um, yeah, so Virginia Tech loses their top tight end. I, Brad Cornelson underutilizes tight ends in the passing game. I think this is honestly a bigger deal for the running game for Virginia Tech because of how good of a blocker James Mitchell is. But you do, of course, lose one of your top pass catchers as well um, when they do elect to throw the ball to the tight end. Yeah, uh, This game overall, Virginia Tech got off to a slow start, both offensively and defensively. It was a very vanilla game plan. I think some of it was they don't want to put a lot on film for West Virginia. It was very like... It felt like they ran like three types of offensive plays in the first half and played a really soft zone defense, which remember the North Carolina game, Joey, they were playing man basically the entire time. So why are you now playing eight yards off the ball with your corners that looked like the best unit in the ACC in week one? That was a question that I had throughout the first half, but... Virginia Tech put on clamps in the second half. They had Jermaine Waller had an interception. Uh, Virginia Tech's offense got more aggressive. And before you know it, it was 35 to 7. Middle Tennessee State scores a late touchdown to make the spread look a little bit closer than it was. But it was 35 7. Tech covered uh, comfortably, even though it didn't look that way. Yep. Um, worth mentioning here, and, and probably some of this was late, late game stuff, but. Uh, Middle Tennessee comes away with 7.1 yards per attempt in the passing game. You know, they were able to yeah. rip off some chunk plays in the passing game. Again, I mean, pretty simple vanilla game plan for Virginia Tech. Like you said, probably don't want to put a lot on film. And I could even make the argument, Mike, on the offense. The offense is pretty vanilla anyways. Like It is. Yeah. <laughs> very, very even. Yeah. So, uh, you know, got to win. It's It sucks to lose James Mitchell like that. Um you know, that's that's a guy who, if nothing else, like you said, I mean, he's, he's he adds to the to the run game as much as a tight end can. Right. And he also I mean, he feels like he's a little bit of a safety blanket, you know, safety valve type for Braxton Burmeister. You know, when he when he gets outside the pocket and scrambling, James Mitchell is one of the first guys he looks for. And, and it makes sense being a, a big guy, big frame, uh, a good pass catcher at tight end, you know, so. Yeah. Future NFL player, all ACC player. It's. I don't want to down. I definitely don't want to downplay it. It's strictly on a 
Brad Cornelson utilization of tight ends in the passing game thing, not a James Mitchell as a football player thing. James Mitchell is a very good football player, and you'd rather have him than not. But yeah. just yeah. from I'm just thinking strictly from a utilization standpoint, I think it'll be tough in the running game. I, I really do, and I don't think it's being talked about enough. So I want to make sure I mention it on this podcast. Yep, yep, for sure. Uh, Virginia Tech 35, Middle Tennessee 14. Uh, moving on, staying in the state of Virginia, Virginia 42, Illinois 14. Uh, this was as as pretty dominant and complete of a win as I think almost any ACC team had, at least against a Power 5 team this weekend. Um, or maybe really this nice year. performance from Virginia. Or maybe this year so far. Yeah. Um, Illinois is bad. We yes. talked about that on the preview. They beat a bad Nebraska team in week one. They lost to UT San Antonio in week two and UVA beat the absolute hell out of them on Saturday in Charlottesville. This was something I saw coming from a mile away, not necessarily 42 to 14, but I thought Virginia would easily cover 10. Brennan Armstrong was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. 27 to 36, 405, five touchdowns had the one interception, but it did, you know, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, at 31 yards on the ground. Virginia still can't run the ball with their running backs. Uh, Wayne Tillapapa, 10 carries, 35 yards. He's he's not very good. And <laughs> I'd, I'd blame the offensive line, but it seems like everybody else can run except for him. So I don't don't know. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I don't get that piece. But, you know, Virginia, again, looked really good in the passing game. Armstrong's stat line was great. Um, it hit some explosive plays left and right. I mean, in several yep. different guys were making explosive plays. Um, I'm seeing five different receivers had a reception of at least 18 yards. Um, yep. And, and again, that's kind of how you get to 400 plus yards in the passing game. It was a lot of yep. explosive passing. So good on Virginia there. Um, just a really, again, a really complete win. And what we talked about, yes, like Illinois is not that great, and yes, they beat Nebraska, but the, it was really a little bit of a styles make fights thing. It felt like because right. Illinois kind of wanted to, at least to some degree, wanted to play like the bully ball. You know, want to be more physical. It's I mean, it's Brett Bielema, right? And it's like that is not going to work against Virginia in the way that it worked against Nebraska. Like now, Virginia no. is happy to sit there and, and you know try to get into a rock fight with you a little bit. Right. They've got right. the guys. That's there. their thing. Yeah. That's their thing. That's their, you're going, if you're Illinois, you're going up against a more mature version of what you'd like to be. Mm -hmm. Like that is what Illinois wants to be Virginia. Yeah. And I don't yeah. mean from the standpoint of they want to go like six and six every year, but they, they want to actually, that'd be great <laughs> at Illinois. Who am I? Kidding? That would be phenomenal at Illinois. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Bielema is a guy to definitely make that happen. But yeah, they're, they're trying to go up against more mature you know, Virginia's team and trying to beat them in their own game. And like you mentioned, that's just, that that's a great point. That's just not going to happen against a UVA team. That's well into their maturity under Bronco Mendenhall. It's just not going to happen. Yep. Yep. So a couple of like really dominant, good looking, complete wins for Virginia to start the year. Now, Mike on what is it next Saturday, they go to Chapel Hill and take on North Carolina, hmm. a game where they're like a 10 point underdog. Stay tuned. I'm interested hmm. to talk about that game and who I think might win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just float this out there for the preview later this week. Um, I like UVA cover there. So just keep that in mind. I, no 
I might like him to do a little bit more than that, but we'll come yeah, back to that. Yeah, oh, would you? Against your coastal pick? Huh. I mean, if Virginia Tech was able to punch him in the mouth and they didn't do anything about it. That's true. I kind of think Virginia might be able to punch him in the mouth and they might not do anything about it. Alas, preseason predictions, they are just predictions. We didn't promise they'd be good. No, definitely not. Anyways, that's some foreshadowing for you. We'll come back and do that later this week. Virginia 42, Illinois 14. Uh, moving on, speaking of those North Carolina Tar Heels, they bounced back pretty nicely here against a not-so-great Georgia State team. Uh, number 24, North Carolina 59, Georgia State 17. Again, got a, maybe got a couple of the demons exercised here. Um, big win for North Carolina. Easy, got a lot of guys in. That, you know, Nice, easy, cruising win to, uh, to follow up from last week's disappointment for them. Yeah, beat the ever-loving hell out of Georgia State. Sam Howell, 352 yards passing, three touchdowns, add 104 yards and two scores on the ground. So. Including a 62-yard touchdown run. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Ty Chandler, 15 carries, 58 yards and a touchdown. He has kind of underwhelmed yeah. Joey, through two weeks, you'd say. I mean, I yeah, I thought he'd be doing a little bit more at this point. but Agreed. Uh, Carolina's receivers, Josh Downs, continues to be the the go-to guy for Sam Howell. He led the team with eight catches in this game um, for 73 yards and a touchdown. Antoine Green, three for 117, which is peak efficiency. 39 yards per catch, 57-yarder included in there. Emery Simmons, three catches, 73 yards. It seems like the primary three at receiver are going to be Green, Simmons, and Downs. Not too much Coffrey Brown through two weeks. A little bit surprised about that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. North Carolina was up 24 to 10 at halftime and it never really got closer. It was 45 to 10 after the third quarter. So, um, this, this was a runaway and, and something that, that North Carolina needed again, kind of exercise some demons, get some work in, stay healthy, move on. And, and again, they'll have Virginia this upcoming weekend. Yep. Keep Tar, Heels. Tar Heels 59 Panthers 17. Uh, moving on, final final one of our uh, our F- FBS <laughs> games before we get into a couple of FCS games. Oh yeah, Ma- uh, Mike Rutgers seventeen, Syracuse seven. Yep, that uh, Sean Tucker rushing effort that he exhibited in Week One against Ohio turns out it does not carry over against ten teams, Joey. Well, and and Mike, speaking of like, let's review last week's action. That Ohio team that Syracuse beat up on pretty good. They lost this week to FCS Duquesne. Not a good look. It's going well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Syracuse finishes this game with 265 yards of offense. Yeah. Which is, is crazy, Mike, because they outgained Rutgers by 70 yards and lost. Yeah. But when you turn it all over three times and don't generate any yourself, well, that's what happens. I was going to say, I mean, you have three turnovers, you have almost, you know, almost 60 yards worth of penalties. You only average 2.2 yards per carry. Yeah. I mean, that'll do it. Yeah. Not great for Syracuse. No, um, decidedly not great. Now Rutgers, I think is going to be okay, right? They're an up and coming program under Shiano and his second stint there. But um, look, let me just put it this way. I'm glad Syracuse got their win in week one while they could. Yeah, uh, it's good to start on a good Virginia, note like that. I, yep, because uh, it's all downhill from here, Joey. <laughs> it might There's be. a song about that. There's a song about that. There is. Uh, Newfound Glory. Good stuff. That's right. That's right. 
we've uh, used that as our intro music on this podcast several times. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Um, it, it is an interesting road ahead, though, for Syracuse. I mean, they get Albany next week. That should be a pretty you know easy layup win. And then the following Friday, yeah. they get well, they get Liberty. Yeah, I I mean, that sounds like that's going to be just like a loss. And then Liberty goes out and beats uh, who was it this week? Hang on, I had it. I had it. I had it pulled up. It was Troy. They beat like a kind of average meh Troy team, twenty one to thirteen. So. And then they get Florida State, which (laughs) I'm curious to watch the Syracuse-Florida State game at this point. I I don't know. Me too. You know, so it's an interesting next few weeks for Syracuse. We're really going to learn a lot more about what's real and what's not. Right. So I'm curious to see because clearly our Twitter mentions would say that there are some real believers in the Syracuse team. And I'm (laughs) curious to know if they're right or if we are. No, 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 no. Our our one believer has has come home, so to speak, as Scott Van Pelt would say. (laughs) He has come home. I'm not talking about him him going bald. I'm talking about he's come home. He's back with us. We got him back with the good guys, Joey. He he gets it now. He came. Our our Q's football fan, whatever, in all caps. Q's football. A a true fan. A true fan account that I believe, Joey, is a Dino Babers burner. Um (laughs) basically said i can't believe i thought this team was different you guys are right i'm so sorry so <laughs> we're back wow. to normal back to normal wow uh yeah. do, like do we like check on them like is everything okay is that a cry for yeah. help like i don't Heel know turn if it was more readily accessible i'd, I'd go grab the i'd go grab the tweet but uh a new loyal listener of the show and maybe one of our few syracuse fans that actually tuned into this year podcast so did appreciate the uh, the insight, the heel turn back to the good guys. <laughs> well, once again, I mean, I, I wish Syracuse well, and, and I want the Dino Babers thing to work. I, I think a couple of years ago they were really fun in that ten win season. Like, I don't wish ill on Syracuse at all. It's just I, I you know, I call right. them as I see them. Um, and I do want to point out somebody that did have a really good game was Taj Harris, the receiver for Syracuse. Yes, eight yes. catches for 122 yards. Uh, he was quite good. Yeah. He is a he's a definite bright spot on that offense. You just got to figure out something around him, and that has been lacking so far. Yes, and maybe some new leadership as well. Perhaps, perhaps. Rutgers seventeen, Syracuse seven. Mike, let's move on. We got some FCS games to recap. Before we do that, Mike, we got to tell you about Section One Hundred Three com. Oh, Joey, do I have a Section One Hundred Three story for you? Tell me about it, Mike. You guys were following our Twitter account or my Twitter account last week, you'll see that I received two wonderful Section 103 t-shirts. I thought I was only getting one. Comfy, yes. Yes, very comfy. Quite comfy. Um, The one uh, with the Bobby Dodd Stadium saying, you know, there's no place I'd rather be or whatever. Bobby Dodd Stadium is my happy place. It's a great shirt. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. See, I totally knew what the shirt said. (laughs) But very, very soft, very comfortable. The second one was the one that simply said Georgia Tech. Well, you'll remember on the last podcast, maybe two podcasts ago now, I made a joke about Sean Glennon, former Virginia Tech quarterback back in the late 2000s. Um, he was spelling time with Tyrod when Tyrod first got to Virginia Tech. There was a uniform malfunction, and Sean Glennon had to wear a Georgia Tech jersey. And if you're a Georgia Tech fan, you're very well aware of this. Had to wear a Georgia Tech jersey that they essentially blacked out and um, it, it was Virginia Tech jersey. I believe I was at that game, purposes. actually. Were you? I think I was. I didn't really realize that that had all happened until you got home later because they made a point of it on TV. But, you know, you, when you're in the stands, like, you would never know. 
Fair enough. I mean, so for all intents and purposes, he was wearing a, a Virginia Tech jersey, so to speak. Um, our good friends over at Section 103, Joey, made sure that joke didn't go unnoticed. They sent me a Georgia Tech t-shirt with the Georgia taped over with Virginia, and now it says Virginia Tech on the Georgia Tech shirt, which I greatly appreciated. Shout out to Stephen Little. What a, uh, Shout what a out guy. Stephen Little. <laughs> he gets it. You just, you know, some people just get it. He gets it. He does. He gets it. That was awesome. Uh, that was a super cool moment, super cool thing for him to do for you. So shout out to him. Um, Section 103, again, all sorts of great Georgia Tech wear. Uh, stuff for men, women, children, uh, performance wear, regular sh- T-shirts. Um, they all, you know, featuring all sorts of different official word marks and logos from Georgia Tech. Those are not easy to find on clothing these days, it turns out. But at section103.com, you sure can. So go there, Mike. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, really appreciate the partnership with them. I love my shirts. I'm looking forward to getting some more in the mail here very soon. Um, there's an email that I still need to respond to Stephen on. So, Stephen, if you're listening, I have not forgotten about you. I'm just bad at replying to emails, I promise. Yes, yes. But and go check out section103.com. Yeah, make sure to check them out. And that one last quick story. Joey texted me and asked, you know, hey, did you get your shirt? I said, I got two of them, actually. And he goes, wait, you got two shirts? And I said, yes, but for good reason. Yeah, good exactly. Reason. And then, you know, the explanation came from there. So, yes, good fun. Uh, really appreciate, again, the partnership. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order at section103.com. And, Mike, of course, they bring us this next recap. Georgia Tech, 45. Kennesaw State, 17. Uh, really wasn't even that close. Georgia Tech was up 45-3 to in this game before a couple of late touchdowns from Kennesaw State kind of pushed it a little bit closer. Um, and, and it was a little bit frustrating the way that that happened because part of how that happened in the fourth quarter was Kennesaw got a second straight possession after getting an onside kick, which, whatever, we'll leave that alone. Good possession or, or good game from Georgia Tech. Jordan Yates, I thought, looked really good throwing the ball and, and realizing it's Kennesaw State, but... Just the way that he was able to anticipate throws, he was on time, he was on target. It was very crisp from a passing standpoint from Jordan Yates. Right. So credit to him and credit to the, the receivers. You know, he had a lot of different guys catch passes for Georgia Tech on Saturday. I I somehow suspect it's going to look a little different next weekend when they go play Clemson. But, sure. you know, for now it looks really great. So credit to them. Uh, saw a couple of offensive wrinkles, too. And, and I want to say this, too. Like, I, I've talked some trash about Georgia Tech's uh, offensive coordinator, Dave Patnode, on this show in the, in the past couple of years. feel like, you know, there were game plans that didn't make sense. There's, you know, situation or there's packages that they use that don't make sense, like all that. I feel like the first couple of year, couple of games of the year here, I think he's called a couple of pretty good games. Um, you know, they've found ways to create chunk yardage, even in the loss to Northern Illinois it wasn't, it wasn't that the plays weren't there to be made. It's that the players weren't making the plays. Like, right. there were a couple of, of long touchdowns that would have happened if just a pass was on target kind of thing, and it, and it wasn't. You had open receivers and, and just couldn't hit them. Um, so credit to, to Dave Patnode and, and that coaching staff for kind of what they're starting to run from an offensive standpoint. It makes more sense than I think what they've done in the past. Um, but overall, you know, a, a, a good win for Georgia Tech. And I thought one of the really funny moments here, too, Mike, was in the first first quarter, I believe it was, uh, Kennesaw State runs an option, quarterback tries to pitch it, and Jordan Dominic swats the pitch out of the air. It's a fumble, picks it up, starts running with it. 
gives one of the nastier stiff arms I've ever seen to Kennesaw State's quarterback, and then is about to get chased down by one of Kennesaw State's uh, A-backs and shoves Charlie Thomas, Georgia Tech's linebacker, shoves him into the A-back as his last yep. block as he's like running into the end zone. Um, so go ACC to that, Jordan Dominic. Yeah. But you know, doing that on a scoop and score, that was, uh, that was really fun. So good win for yeah. Georgia Tech. That was better. Yes. That was better. Better than the Northern Illinois showing. Yeah. I, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. This was a game where I described it this way, Mike, to somebody. I was like, this is basically the game for Georgia Tech where you're like Sonic if you've already lost all your rings. Right. And you're running around, in the, and if you screw anything up, like, you're dead. <laughs> but yes. they did not screw anything up, and they uh, they have a couple of rings back now. So, um, you know. This is you don't really gain a lot by winning this game, but you definitely don't lose what you could have by losing it. I agree. I mean, uh, now you go into Clemson week, and basically the game plan is don't get blown out. So, hey, Pat, no, just sit on the football. Exactly. Preview of my uh, my column at, from the Rumble Seat on uh, on Wednesday, by mm. the way. If oh yeah. If you're interested, a little bit of a spoiler there. I will be reading. Please do. Please do. From the Rumble Go check it out. Uh, Mike, while we're talking about Georgia Tech, we do have a couple of mailbag questions I wanted to hit on really quick as well. Um, these these came in a little over a week ago. Uh, the first one came from Keith Derrick, uh, and he was pretty frustrated, I think, on Sunday morning after that loss to Northern Illinois. Uh, says, basically, if you were the AD, Mike, for Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. there's a lot of emotional athletic directors on Twitter right now. What would you do if Collins was your head coach and you were the AD? Would you consider firing him? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Now, full understanding of what the buyout is, it's probably not entirely realistic to fire him right this second. But yeah, I mean, it's absolutely on the table. And going into the Kennesaw State game, like you mentioned, if Georgia Tech were to lose that game, then it would have been, okay, like this isn't a situation that's going to get any better They've now lost to Northern Illinois. They've lost to Kennesaw State, which would have been the second FCS loss for Jeff Collins as Georgia Tech's head coach, correct? Yep. Theory? Yep. Yeah. So at that point, it would have been like, all right, this is not going to get any better. S- second loss in three years. And by the way, the second year, there there wasn't even an S- FCS team to play. Right. So could have made it three for three. Yeah. Um, didn't even make it two for three, though. And that's what Georgia Tech needed. They needed to win that game against Kennesaw State. Now, how do you move forward? Right. You have a big game against Clemson, a big game from the standpoint of Clemson being a top 10 team. Right. It's a big game on Saturday. Can you look respectable? Right. The same question we were asking about Miami. Right. Miami is on a different wavelength than Georgia Tech in most years. I get that. But the conversation we were having about Miami going into the Alabama game was the same thing. Can you look respectable? Right. Can you not get blown out? And it sounds like moral victories. But when you're in a year three of a total rebuild, and you're expecting to start to see results, a good step in the right direction would be to not get absolutely obliterated by the odds on favor to win the conference every year, right? Mm-hmm. And Georgia Tech, it's not fair that they have to draw Clemson every year, right? It's garbage. I've, I've talked about it. It's crap. Like, permanent crossovers are dumb. Division, division. They're dumb. I don't know why the ACC does it. It's stupid. I, whatever. No arguments. Georgia, right. Yeah. So now Georgia Tech draws Clemson every year when they already have Georgia on the schedule, but I digress. It's not good, right? And so how do you look in this particular contest, right? Can you 
despite a really disappointing start to the year with that loss to Northern Illinois, you still find a way to look respectable in the games you're not expected to win, right? Coming into the year, Joey, we thought that Georgia Tech was a team that quite honestly would would struggle to get to six wins, uh, just given the difficulty of their schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going to be hard on paper to see that happen in the preseason. I still think it's going to be pretty difficult to get to six wins and even more difficult now they lost to a game should have lost to a team that they should have beaten in Northern Illinois. Yep. But can you look can you look respectable? Can you win some of these quote unquote toss up games that you got coming up in ACC play? You know, can you beat the teams you're supposed to be like a Duke, right? Can can you beat that kind of team, you know, can you make the Virginia Tech game? Can you beat Virginia Tech in Atlanta? Or can you make that game competitive in Atlanta against a Virginia Tech team that might be a little bit better than we expected, right? Like, that's now what I'm looking for with this with this Georgia Tech team the rest of the season, given what we saw in week one against Northern Illinois. It's not realistic to fire Collins right now, but can you get this thing moving back in a semi-normal direction, given the difficulty of the schedule and kind of what you have in front of you? And for what it's worth, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything financially viable they can do to fi- to fire him this season unless the bottom just absolutely fell out. And right. I think by beating Kennesaw State, you've made sure that that doesn't happen. Um, right. So, I, I, you know, at worst, I think you're looking at, you know, firing after next year. I think that's when it's more financially viable. Um, and, and my column last week at, at from the Rebel Seat basically was about I, I am not – I don't, I don't believe that this is going to work. Like, you know, some of the coaching stuff that I continue to not see from this team is, is super concerning to me, you know, where again, you're not getting beat because other teams are bigger, stronger, faster than you. You're getting beat because your guys don't know where to go that, you know, things like last year when they didn't know the snap count and just basic, simple stuff that's not being coached. That was my concern. So maybe that changes, Mike, there's still time. Uh, Again, you've probably got another, you know, 22 games ahead of you before, before that decision has to be made. Like there's a lot of time to turn it around. It's just, it's a question of can you and will you. Right. So agree. Other listener question here real quick while we're at it. Uh, Lee, nobody should Georgia tech be aggressively pursuing Gus Malzahn. Can the program afford to wait and watch the talent leave the team through the transfer portal? Is there any other coaching hire that would keep talent on the roster and bring in talent from the roster that they're leaving? I understand the financials are hellaciously bad, but is it worse than another two to three year rebuild? I mean, what's Gus Malzahn's interest in Georgia Tech? Yeah, Gus Malzahn has a pretty good gig right now at UCF. Yeah, and he's probably going to be in line for another big time gig at some point in the next couple of years if he wants it. I, I don't see that. I mean, it's it's a. I don't want to. Com- com- I don't want to completely dump on the question because I think that the proposition of Malzahn, in theory, makes makes sense. N- not the name Malzahn, but a name like Malzahn, right? Where it's not like the top name on the market. Like <laughs> Georgia Tech's not getting Saban. Georgia Tech's not getting Urban Meyer. You know, Georgia Tech's not getting you know Brian Kelly or. Uh, but can Georgia Tech get like this could be a bad example, but like a tier of coach like Matt Campbell, can they get like that type of guy? That's an that's a more open question. Now, Matt Campbell, again, bad example. That's one I kind of pulled out of my ass, but you want to get a tier of coach like that where he's a good coach, but regionally it makes sense. And I think that's where we're going with this question from Lee, right? 
okay, Malzahn regionally, it makes sense. He coached at Auburn. He's coaching at UCF now. Like, he knows the Southeast. Like, yes, but he's also Gus Malzahn. So, mm-hmm. no, he's not coming to Georgia Tech. But can you get a coach like that? Yes. I just don't know who that is right now. And even if, you know, we sit here a year from now and say, you know what, Georgia Tech's got to wash their hands of the thing. I'm not sure it's going to be an established head coach with multiple years of proven like track record. I think it's going to be maybe a, a coordinate an up and coming coordinator or someone like that. And I think they're going to want to go offense rather than defense, just given how this has looked in mm-hmm. the first few years with Collins understanding it's a full rebuild and it's a really tough situation to inherit, but also acknowledging that the staff has fell short through two years and change. Right. So, right. There's some of that, too. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, Malzahn just signed a contract with UCF. It was a five-year, $11.5 million contract. Now, part of that is he's also being completely supplemented by Auburn giving him, like, $21 million in cash to walk away. Of course. Um, But, I mean, the thing is, again, you'd be paying a Collins buyout. You'd be paying probably a buyout from UCF. And then you'd also be, you know, paying him a salary on top of that. So that... That gets extraordinarily expensive, you know, in a Georgia Tech athletic department that's not just like loaded to the gills with cash right. in the way that some of these other programs are. Um, now, if if you just take all the context out of it and you just stand two men in front of me, and one of them is Jeff Collins and one of them is Gus Malzahn, and you say, which one do you want to be the head coach of your program right now? <laughs> Gus Malzahn. I, I'm yes. probably Be pointing, the- you know, I'm probably pointing to the guy that took a team to a national title. Right. He, he was the offensive coordinator for another national title winning team. Uh, he damn near made a playoff a couple of years ago at Auburn. Like, you know, he's he is very accomplished, you know, in recruiting and on field and all that at the at the highest level. Versus Jeff Collins, who's kind of this somewhat up and comer, less experienced guy who doesn't have a ton of skins on the wall. Like, right? Yeah, I'll take I'll take Malzahn. But I mean, I'll tell you the guy the guy who made more sense for Georgia Tech is UCF's old head coach, who's now with Tennessee, Josh Heupel. That would have made sense for Georgia Tech. That would have like, been interesting. I, yeah, but but that that's the kind of coach that would have made sense. Like, okay, he's like regionally, it's a fit. His offense is exciting. It's totally different from what you had in Paul Johnson, right? Like it's like that's polar, a, polar opposite of Paul Johnson. Right. <laughs> right. But that's what I'm saying. Like it is a a guy who's had some success as a head coach, right? Who's familiar with the area in the southeast, who is running something completely different from what you have in hand now, right? With mm-hmm. with or at the time with Paul Johnson and, and now with Jeff Collins. So the the old UCF coach would have made a lot more sense than Gus Malzahn, but I, I understand I understand where Lee's going. It's just it you know, not gonna happen with Malzahn. I will say this last last thought here is that I you know, one of the things that Jeff Collins has done really well that honestly might do better at Georgia Tech than Gus Malzahn would is recruiting. Right. But the thing is if you brought in someone like a Malzahn who is a, a really pretty bright schematic mind who, you know, could run a, a a pretty well-schemed offense, you know, bringing like a Jamie Chadwell or someone like that. That's kind of up and coming and well-regarded that way, dude, that could very easily be like a Paul Johnson, 2008 situation where you, you bring a schematic genius into a, a guy, a room where there's just loaded with talent, you know, or, you know, a very talented roster to work with. Right. And you could see some really immediate returns. So, right. I agree. 
that's something I, I'm kind of intrigued to see, you know, if, if in two years we're talking about somebody else's head coach at Georgia Tech, like that might be a move you make with that hire is going to get a strong schematic hire that can use the talent that's already in place. Correct. Correct. So, curious to watch that. But anyway, shout yeah. out to Keith Derrick and Lee Nobody for the questions there. Yes. Apologies that like we've done two episodes now without answering them. We uh, we you know, we tried to get to them, but again, those were running really long the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, and I hope and yeah, and I hope Lee didn't think I was just like completely jumping on his question because I definitely wasn't. I get I get where he was going there for sure. Yeah, it's it's a good thought, and and it's it's an interesting thing to think about is kind of what makes the most sense, and, and it right. kind of there's a lot of aspects to that in terms of money and location and skill sets and and you know Todd Stansbury has talked about how Georgia Tech is a kind of a unique job there's a lot of things that make it unique um somebody that understands that is a positive so yep you know it's a good thing to think about and, and good to think in those terms yeah and if George look if if the pursuit of Gus Malzahn fails I'm sure Manny Diaz will come available here soon <laughs> very very soon perhaps uh moving maybe on. by the end of October yeah <laughs> quite possibly um, although Manny Diaz might just be like Miami Jeff Collins for what it's worth. Um, that's, that's true. It's, nah, I, I, nah, don't go after Manny Diaz, please. Moving on. Number six, Clemson 49, South Carolina state three, uh, Clemson just barely avoids covering in this game. So good for you, Clemson. Um, uh, I mean, overall pretty easy win for the Tigers here. Yeah. If you bet on this game, it's your own damn fault. I mean, <laughs> right. Not guilty, I, Mike. Not guilty. Yes. Yeah. I, not guilty, surprisingly for me as well. Uh, Will Shipley, eight carries, 80 yards, two touchdowns, average 10 yards a pop. That is why you select a five-star running back to recruit. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Or pay. You know, whatever Clemson's doing. <laughs> Keep it kosher. Could be. You never know. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I, I was in disbelief to the point that, like, we had to, like, pause the recording here to figure out what happened yes truth be told i did not really watch that much of clemson versus south carolina state i didn't watch any of it not a lick yeah not not much uh mike ty puma ty tyson puma chan whatever you know big cinco's backup yes that blue as achilles in spring practice went seven to ten for 75 yards and a touchdown and a pick had a carry for three yards this man is playing in a football game less than six months after tearing his Achilles. The guy went full Kobe in the spring and then <laughs> welcome back. My I mean, gosh. well, I mean, full Kobe with the Achilles, not anything else. Yeah. Just the Achilles. R.I.P. Kobe. Yeah. Um, comes back and plays. It's unbelievable to me. Unreal that he played in this football game. I'm in disbelief. Yeah, disbelief. It's. You know what they always say, an Achilles is basically like an ACL these days, right? Is that what they say? News to me. News to me. I mean, I assumed he was done for the full season. I mean, we we weren't going to see him until next year's spring practice. Assumption. Mike Soroka for the Braves tore his Achilles like 14, 15 months ago, and we really haven't seen him since. I don't want to talk about it. I drafted him in like the ninth round. My fantasy baseball league thought it was a steal, and then... Well, trust me, I've I've loved watching the Braves without their top of the rotation starter for a year and a half now. It's been it's been a great <laughs> ride, Mike. As an actual fan, yes, it's been a great ride. Right. Right. Clemson forty nine, South Carolina State three, uh, Wake Forest forty one, Norfolk State sixteen. 
a little closer than I expected, but I mean, this also kind of felt like a, a bit of a name your score game for Wake Forest, and they mm-hmm. named it, and it was just closer than we thought it would be. I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, was it actually? I mean, a little bit. Like, I mean, they were like a forty-three point favorite. Yeah, that's true. Correctly. I mean, that's yes, that's that's true. It was twenty-four uh, to nine at halftime. Strangely. I mean, Norfolk State scoring 16. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a little surprising. Norfolk State scoring 16 points was a little bit of a surprise. Norfolk State absolutely sat on the ball in this game. Well, I mean, that's the strategy. High-powered offense. I mean, Wake Forest didn't know Georgia Tech with their offense, right? Or, no, or Virginia Tech, for that matter. But, not quite. I mean, Wake only uh, had the ball four times in the first half of this game. They scored 24 points pretty good, but, like, I mean, Norfolk State's drives 12 plays, six and a half minutes, 11 plays, seven and a half minutes, five plays, three minutes, nine plays, three and a half minutes. Like, you want to talk about, you know, shortening the game and, and really drawing the thing out. Like, they ran that to perfection. Well, it's a great strategy to sit on the ball if you can capitalize on every possession. If you don't and you come up empty, then that nine-minute drive just makes sure that you cover the spread, and that's about it. So that was your goal. Good on you. This is spoiling the hell out of my Wednesday article. (sighs) Sorry. Wake Wake 41, Norfolk State 16. Uh, Louisville 30, Eastern Kentucky 3. Uh, Big day for Malik Cunningham. We're going with Malik this week. I think we're going to go with Malik. He threw it like a Malik. He did not like a Mikhail. He did not run it like Malik. 11 carries for 29 yards and two scores. I mean, two scores is good, but less than three yards per carry less good. Yes. Yeah, definitely less good. Uh, Congratulations to Scott Satterfield. (laughs) Big win for his program. Yes. He needed it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh, can I I just uh, Amari Huggins, Bruce. Yeah, this is pain. This is painful for your boy, dude. This is painful. Um, he had Virginia Tech in his final three, and he chose Louisville. And now I'm living in pain and suffering while Virginia Tech receivers try to get open. Woof. Yeah, he had five catches for 150 yards in this game. Mm-hmm. You take that. Pretty good. Pretty pretty good. Including a 93 yarder. Not bad. Yeah, he's got some wheels, brother. He wheels does. Louisville 30, Eastern Kentucky 3. Lastly, Mike, the game that we really thought might go sideways, and it, it did for a while, and then it really didn't. Duke 45, North Carolina A&T 17. Uh, if I'm, I'm trying to remember this. I was out on a date with the wife Friday night and trying to monitor this as, you know, at least the score. Uh, right. Duke scored a touchdown right before halftime to take a 21-14 lead. They did. Uh, I guess as time expired in the first half, they, they scored yeah. to take that lead. And then uh, they just kind of turned it on in the second half and uh, ran away from NCAA and T. Uh, eventually, it was a forty-five to seventeen final score. I was feeling uh, quite good about A and T's chances to cover, and I bet this game. And I was also on a date with my wife. We were at a country concert on Friday night, and during an intermission, I checked the score of this game, and it was twenty-one fourteen at halftime. I was like, ah. Oh, a and T. Not only are they going to cover here, they might win this thing outright. And then Duke just blew them out in the second half and smoked them. A and T did not run the cover play in the second half. No, Let's put it that way. No, did not they run did the not. Cover play. Uh, Mateo Durant with one of those stat lines of the weekend: fifteen carries for forty-one yards and three scores. Mike, I mean, wasn't efficient, but it was effective. It was effective. 
averaging what 14 yards per touchdown something like that <laughs> sure why not math that's just math Duke 45, North Carolina A&T 17. Mike, you want to give out some awards? Let's do it. Let's do it. Fire up Yakety Sacks. The Go ACC moment of the week, Mike. It could only be one thing. It could only be one thing. Congratulations to Jacksonville State for completing, well, Sarah Cooper. I would, Florida State should have known Sarah Cooper couldn't actually make the end zone with his arm. He's played for Clemson. <laughs> like, yeah, but he did. I, we use play loosely because he was like a third stringer for a reason. Yeah, like, he, he couldn't throw it to the end zone. But oh my god, oh my god, Florida State. Yeah, this. I mean, only one candidate here, Joey. Florida State up three points on Jacksonville State with six seconds to go, and it's a fifty-nine yard touchdown with multiple missed tackles and just a missed defensive call and all sorts of stuff going on to give the Gamecocks the win. So go ACC to you, Florida State. You fulfilled the prophecy that somebody was going to lose to an FCS team this weekend. It's just we didn't think it was going to take till the final play of the final game, but you did it. Good job. Go ACC. Terrible. <laughs> really awful. Uh, Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award this week goes to Pittsburgh's run, uh, special teams. <laughs> not, mm, not the running backs. Yeah. Pittsburgh's special teams. Uh, again, blocked, had a punt blocked. Had another punt that was shanked. Had a kickoff return inside the five-yard line. Um, that was really, like, a lot of the only reason that Tennessee was even in this game. Right. Good thing you pulled off the win. But, boy, you tried to look like you had it together on special teams. Yeah. I Look, we decided to give it to Pittsburgh special teams. You can give it to their running game any week. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, speaking of which, the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award. Kobe. Kobe goes to NC State's running backs with a uh, <laughs> less than efficient performance. We'll say Bam Knight, Ricky Person Jr. 16 carries for 50 yards. Bad shade over three yards per carry on 16 carries. Not not ideal. Not to mention Ricky Person with an interception and Bam Knight with a fumble. Yeah, this pretty bad for NC State. Yeah, not a great look. Not the best. Not the best. Those are our weekly awards, Mike. Player of the week, uh, Brandon Armstrong for Virginia. He looked yep. real good, Mike. Yep, Brandon Armstrong. I think has to be a player of the week. Sam Howell, but you know, Sam Howell was going up against uh, FCS competition. Also, <laughs> uh, real quick, Andres Borgales, I think is is going to be my player of the week for Miami. Hit three field goals, made three extra points, and like I mentioned when we were recapping the Miami game, they do not win that football game without him. Nope. Nope. He, yeah, we we would not be talking about him that way if he had kicked that last field goal just just a shade to the left of where it ended up because it just barely snuck in inside that left upright. But they count that as three points, Mike. Yeah, and real quick, just to correct myself. I said Georgia State, State was an FCS team. They're actually in the Sun Belt, but you know it's basically the same thing. Thought you were throwing shade there, but yeah, I'll, I'll take mm -hmm. it. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean Brennan Armstrong did that against Illinois, which is technically a P five team, so. You know, yeah. well, yeah, they could also be in the Sun Belt if they wanted to. Like I said, technically, yes, um, <laughs> basically an FCF team, though. Team of the week, Armstrong's Virginia Cavaliers, and yes. you know what? We've uh, we, we've we've messed around and talked some mess about Pittsburgh and how they played against Tennessee. Yep, they got it done, Mike. They beat an SEC team. That's a win. They had yep. more points than Tennessee did. That's it. They're co-teams of the week with Virginia. 
Yeah, I'd like to give mine to, you know, more ACC team than Florida State would ever be. Uh, Jacksonville State, come on down. <laughs> the uh, the Gamecocks, as it were. Yes, the Gamecocks. That's right. Which Gamecocks team finishes with more wins, Jacksonville State or South Carolina? Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. America's favorite game show. Yes. We'll see how that goes. Name that Gamecock. <laughs> Mike, that's all I got on week that two. right here. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on week two here? Uh, no. I mean, I, to say that this weekend is planned would be just totally an incorrect statement. The season has been kind of a mess so far. In, in a very looking bad. In a very ACC college football way, I'll say so. It's it's looking bad. The ACC is looking bad. Yeah, I mean, it's Clemson as it currently stands. Clemson no longer has a ranked team remaining on their schedule, so that's uh, that's kind of where that's sitting. So that's not good. Yikes! The one that could be uh, their best win when it's all said and done just lost their starting quarterback for the year. Yep. And the other one couldn't really score any points on Mississippi State. So how the hell are they scoring on Clemson? I'm talking about NC State. So I am not feeling particularly good about the ACC's chances at a college football playoff through two weeks, but it's early. It's early, Joey. Yeah, it's early. And and these teams will get better and and all that. And Clemson will be 11 and one. They'll they'll be 12 and one most likely after they win the ACC. So there's all that, but. You know, I don't know. And it's interesting, too, because like at this point in the year, I feel like there's more ACC teams in the rankings than we're used to seeing. You, you've got number right. 24, Miami, number 21, North Carolina. Your Virginia Tech Hokies at number 15. July. Like, you know, you've got several top 25 teams here. Um, that, that's not a bad look. It's just kind of what a lot of the rest of the conferences looked like. Right. And Clemson is just not playing any of them. And yep. they're, they're the team that's going to come out of this thing anyway. Exactly. Yeah, Clemson so, out of the Atlantic once again gets Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh. And, and yeah. I mean Pittsburgh could be decent. Pitt could be yeah, Pitt could end up being ranked once I mean it's just as it currently stands, which I mean the conference has been a total dumpster fire through two weeks. It's just been everybody's beating each other up. The one team that everybody thought was gonna be the team that could contest Clemson loses in week one in Blacksburg. You got Miami who, you know, beat App State by a safety. You know, it's like <laughs> We're, what are we doing here? Florida State. And we're like, oh, Florida State, look at them. They you know, almost beat Notre Dame, and then they lose to an FCS school. It's like, mm-hmm. this is the same old conference. Same old, same old. UPA might be good. Might, might be. They've played two bad teams so far. They've looked good, though. You know what I was thinking about earlier today, Mike? Something that we talked about, I, I think it was during the offseason, was the, the, like, the limited number of coaching turnover we've had. Since right. we've been doing this podcast. Right. I mean, we've covered five full seasons at this point. I think we've seen something like five coaching hires. Like, at some point, some of these jobs start turning over, right? Like, and you start to see something different from some of these programs. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah. We might be coming up to one hour, so to speak. Possible. Possible. I'm not trying to fire people in week two. I'm just saying. Like, it, I- Seems like it's a bit of a status quo situation, which makes sense when everybody goes like seven and five all year. So, yeah, you don't fire people for that, I guess. Yep. Anyways, that's all I got in week two, Mike. So, has Lee nobody considered? I don't know someone like Steve Adazio. <laughs> Hope not. Hope not. God. 
Hadn't hadn't considered Scott Leffler either. It turns out. Oh jeez. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, Bowling Green is so bad. Oh, what Bowling Green do this? What Bowling Green? Speaking do this? of, by the way, let's yes. find out. Yeah, I forgot to include this on the rundown. Oh, South Alabama twenty-two, Bowling Green nineteen. You almost got it done. That was close. That was close. Way to cover. <laughs> you know they were a dog. Way to cover. Yeah. Matt McDonald goes for 308 yards and a touchdown through the air. And then running the ball, they went for like 10 yards. So Sounds like a Scott Leffler offense to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's about right. That's about right. Yeah. So. Just remember, Virginia Tech fans, when you're screaming at Brad Cornelson this Saturday when Tech's playing West Virginia, just remember your offensive coordinator used to be Brian Steinspring. And just after that, it was Scott Leffler, which was the end of Frank Beamer in Blacksburg. So just remember that. Keep that in mind. Hey, go Falcons. Go Falcons. Good call. Going to get one more screech in there. That's right. Mike, let's get out of here. Uh, let, let's go preview some week three action. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, you can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, like Lee Nobody and Keith Derrick did to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. You can go find us on iTunes, on Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can go find your podcasts. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Also on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Please do. Do it for the gram, Mike. Do it for the gram. That's right. And those places you can go find podcasts, do all those things that YouTubers tell you to do. Hit subscribe, hit the like buttons, all those good things. We, uh, we appreciate that. Leave ratings. We like those. Yes. Rate and review. And of course, subscribe. Please do. Please do. Uh, Mike, you ready for week three? On to week three. We, uh, we apologize for the, the scheduling delay on this here particular episode, but we will get back at it later this week as we come back to preview those games. Spoiler, it was my fault. <laughs> I mean, neither of us is particularly timely with, with most of any of this. So, you know, it, it's, it, was your, it was you this time. It'll probably be me next time. You at least have a kid. What's my excuse? He is a, he is a great excuse maker. I'll give you that. Yes. Just like his old man. Mike? <laughs> We'll talk later this week. Yep. <laughs> All right. Until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.